Well, good morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney. I serve as one of the pastors here and uh, such a joy to welcome those of you who are with us in the room here at the Brandon campus and those of you who are tuning in online. I just wanna say a special word of thanks to our children and our students and our adults who led us in worship today. It's always a special day uh, when our children and our students uh, help provide leadership in worship. We are a multi-generational church and we believe that the gospel is for all. And uh, we are just overjoyed with all that God is doing here through every ministry area and every uh, age range. We, we are truly a part of a mission and a movement that is changing the world as we carry out our mission and our mandate to get the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to every place in the world because we believe that we have a way-making God who is able to provide for all of our needs. And uh, he's the answer to uh, what our world most desperately needs. And uh, so we, uh, we celebrate today. We're so glad you're here with us. And last week we kicked off a new teaching series called Bad Advice, where we're, we're looking at some pieces of common advice that are present in our culture that are actually bad pieces of advice. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about following your heart and how it's a rather common refrain in our day and time that we should follow our hearts. And we talked about how that's a pretty bad piece of advice. And this week, I wanna go back to a piece of advice that's been around for almost 20 years now. It's something that was introduced in 2003 by the great philosopher, Fitty Cent. I don't know if any of you follow 50 Cent, but uh, he uh, was a rapper and he, um, he, he debuted an album in 2003 with this piece of advice, get rich or die trying. Actually, it was made into a movie in 2005. I'm sure many of you have that DVD sitting on your bookshelf somewhere. Uh, yes, yes, uh, I heard it's a good movie. Uh, I'm not endorsing it, I actually haven't even seen it. But uh, Get Rich or Die Trying was an album, a, a really significant album in 2003. And that's become somewhat of a catchphrase since. And, and if you think about it, kind of a, a motto for many people in terms of how they live their lives. Of course, underneath that statement, is a sentiment that assumes if you have enough money and enough financial resources, you will be happy. (laughs) And therefore, the primary aim of your life should be to get rich or die trying. If you have enough, you'll be happy. If you have enough, you'll be fulfilled. If you have enough, then, um, you know, you'll be in a place where you will experience true fulfillment. But the problem, with this piece of advice and this mantra by which many people live is that having wealth and being wealthy are actually moving targets. For instance, Gallup did a survey several years ago that asked Americans, how much do you need to have to consider yourself wealthy? The answers were pretty amazing. The majority of those who responded to the survey said, 
$150,000 a year. Most people said, if we had $150,000 a year, then we would be rich and we would have everything we need. But when Gallup asked people who made 150,000 a year, they said, no, we're not rich. When asked a follow-up, then how much would you need to be rich? The answer was in the $500,000 a year range. When Gallup surveyed people who had around $35,000 a year in household income and asked what is rich, the answer was 75,000 a year. They said, if I had $75,000 a year, I would be rich and I would have more than enough. You see, having wealth and being wealthy, having happiness that's tied to wealth or being wealthy, having fulfillment that's tied to wealth or being wealthy will always put you on a sliding scale. And you'll always be living with a moving target. Because whether your household income is 50,000 a year, or 100,000 a year, or 150,000 a year, or $500,000 a year, he, here's the thing. There's always someone who makes more, who has a higher standard of living, and therefore the target will always move. <laughs> That's why when Gallup asked people what they needed to be wealthy, every single respondent said, I'm not wealthy and this is what I'll need to be so. Now, let me give you a few reasons this is true in our society that we have such a moving target. I, I think there are a couple of things that many people in the United States struggle with because many people are just trying to get richer, die trying. First of all, it's hard to feel rich when you don't live with margin. So if your household income is 50,000 a year, but you spend 52, you won't feel very wealthy. If your household income is 500,000 a year, but you spend 515,000 a year, you won't feel very wealthy. And in the United States, we are very, very blessed. I believe we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. <laughs> we are incredibly blessed. But, but many people kind of live with this mantra of, I need more to be happy. I need more to fill the void. I need more to be fulfilled. And, and many people don't live with margin. And so it's hard to feel wealthy when you don't have any margin. It doesn't matter how much you make. You see, the most important aspect of your financial health is not what you make, but what you spend. And if you spend more than you make, it doesn't matter how much you make, you will not feel very wealthy. There are enough people today living with margin. Therefore, Gallup survey highlights the dysfunction. The fact that those who make 50 think they need more. Those who make 100 think they need more. Those who make 150 think they need more. Secondly, it's hard to feel rich when you play the game of comparison. It's interesting, especially in our culture, that we tend to compare ourselves to those who have more and not less. <laughs> My boys and I were driving home last night and uh, we passed someone in a hot blue Lamborghini on Lithia Pinecrest turning into Panera. Apparently that is a hot spot for those of you with Lambos, okay? I said to my boys, I wouldn't be turning that bad boy into a Panera that's crowded. Somebody's gonna scratch that car and then I'm gonna get mad and there's gonna be a fight and I'm gonna go to jail and I'm gonna lose my Lambo, okay? 
So if you have a Lambo today, we have a special Lamborghini parking lot just for you, okay? It's at the Panera on Lithia Pinecrest and then we provide a shuttle, okay? (laughs) And so, you know, whatever you make, wherever you are in life, you know, like you're driving around in a Lexus, you pass that Lamborghini, you're like, man, I am a loser. There's always somebody to compare ourselves to. You know, it's incredible. It really is. There's always somebody else. There's another house. There's another car. There's another vacation. So there's just, it's amazing. There's, there's always people to compare ourselves to. And, and when it comes to like where we are with what we have, we tend to compare ourselves to those who have more, not those who have less. So it's hard to feel wealthy when you don't live with margin. It's hard to feel wealthy when you're always comparing yourself to someone who has more. And then thirdly, those of you, especially in in high school, college, you're a young professional. Listen, it's hard to feel rich when you expect to start where your parents ended. And that's a real problem for many people today. We have a generation of people who expect to start where their parents or their grandparents ended. That's not real life. And so there's just a better path forward. I think for all of us. <laughs> I think this is a, a, a real need for our society today because as I'll, as I'll walk us through here when we get to God's word, listen, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. You, you will nowhere find the Bible condemning wealth. You will nowhere find the scriptures telling those of us with some incredible means, okay, which is almost every single one of us in this room, okay, you're never gonna see the scripture saying that we need to take a poverty vow and give everything up. Because God's not primarily concerned with what we have. He's primarily concerned with who we are. And that's where this bad advice of get rich or die trying is taking a hold of a lot of people because they're trying to fill the void of who they are with with things that will never, ever truly satisfy them. And so they don't live with margin and they're always playing the game of comparison. And some are always expecting that which they should never truly expect to start where someone else ended. And and we just kind of have this culture right now that's kind of spiraling out of control because we we often tie our self-worth to our net worth. And that's not how God sees us, okay? We need a better perspective. Can I give you a little reality check here today? Again, I just want to reiterate, nothing wrong with working hard, being blessed, accumulating wealth. Nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're like me and you were born in the United States and raised in the United States and you've only known this place, this awesome, amazing place as your home, let me give us a little perspective that we need. If you net $42,000 a year for your household income, if you net $42,000 a year for your household income, you are among the top 5% of earners globally. Now, just let that sink in. If you net $42,000 a year in your household, you are among the top 5% of income earners 
globally. And I know $42,000 a year will not get you a Lambo in the United States. (laughs) It will barely get you a steady diet of Panera. (laughs) But it's absolutely true that we are among the most blessed people who have ever walked the face of the earth. It's just our society is diving deeper and deeper and deeper into the bad advice that in order to have true happiness and true fulfillment, we gotta get rich or die trying. And my point to you out of the gate here is you'll never have enough wealth to satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. That's why you ask people who earn 50, who earn 150, who earn 500 if they're rich and almost every single one of them say no. Well, what would it take for you to feel rich? It's some number well above where they currently are. And so let me propose this morning a better path forward, a good piece of advice, a godly piece of advice that actually provides peace and fulfillment in every circumstance because there's a better path forward for all of us, okay? Let me me give you, I think, a biblical principle that is game-changing. Here it is. You are truly rich. You You wanna know what true wealth looks like? You are truly rich when you are content with what you have. True wealth is not about how much you have. It's about being content with what you have. You are truly rich when you are content with what you have. And let me take you to a piece of encouragement that a man named Paul communicated to a a, a young man in his life, a man that he mentored and guided, a young guy named Timothy, all right? And Paul's writing to Timothy and he's passing on a lot of godly wisdom. And toward the end of the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we actually have two of them recorded for us. but, But at the latter half of the first letter he wrote, Paul gives Timothy some great, great, great advice about managing wealth and maintaining contentment. We find it in 1 Timothy 6. If you have a copy of God's word, go ahead and turn there with me. You'll find it almost at the very end of your Bible, okay? You'll come to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Go to the end of 1 Timothy 6. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you today, I'll have these on the screens. But I I want you to see some really good pieces of advice that Paul gave to Timothy about the issue of managing wealth without losing contentment. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse six. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now, some translations say, now godliness with contentment is great gain. That word gain is actually the word wealth there. It's the same word. And so Paul's saying, if you wanna know what true wealth looks like, it is godliness with contentment. That's true wealth. And he goes on, he says, after all, I love this. We brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can take nothing with us when we leave. (laughs) We can't take anything with us when we go. And then he makes this statement. Look at what Paul says here. He says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And then he, and he kind of wraps up this little section with this. He says, but people who long, people who long to get rich or die trying, <laughs> people who long to be rich, that's the desire of their heart. That's their longing 
desire by which they live. Like that's the primary driver for them in their life. They think that their fulfillment will come through their wealth. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people while craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's a good word. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's go back to verse six, where Paul says, true godliness with contentment is itself true wealth, great wealth. You see real wealth, let me say it again, is the ability to be content in every circumstance. Not playing the game of comparison, not living without margin, not living with unrealistic expectations, content with who you are in Christ and what you have. Real wealth, true wealth, godliness with contentment. Now, Paul talks about this elsewhere in Philippians 4. Let me show you another thing that he said just about his own personal testament. I love this. He says, not that I've, I've ever truly been in need. He's talking about suffering on hardship. He's, he's like, I've, I've never actually been in need. I've, I've lost a lot. I've suffered a lot, but I've never truly been in need for I've learned, check this out, to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, with more than I need. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't it amazing how we quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength in, in, in almost every single situation in life, except the one that Paul was immediately talking about, which was the issue of contentment. Paul wasn't talking about being stuck in traffic and not, you know, doing or saying whatever comes across your mind. No, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. That's not what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about being in a situation in life where you're struggling and and, and your identity's at stake and your fulfillment's at stake, your contentment's at stake. And he's like, you know what I've learned by the grace of God, I've learned to be truly content with whatever I have and whatever situation I'm in because I can do that through Christ. He's not talking about something material. He's not talking about something circumstantial. Listen to me. He's talking about something spiritual, something internal. He's saying, if I feel like I don't have enough, if I don't have what I used to have, you know what the reality is? I have what I need. And I've learned to be content with what I need. When I have way more, there've been seasons in my life, Paul's saying, I've had way more than I've needed. And in those situations, I didn't tie my identity or my joy to the abundance. I've learned to tie it to Jesus. I've learned whether I've had a little or a lot that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, who even gives me the strength to be content in every circumstance. Now that's powerful. And Paul's writing to Timothy, this young protege. And, and he's like, listen, Timothy, if you wanna know what true contentment looks like, it is godliness, godliness with contentment. That's what wealth is all about. 
You see, it leads to great gain, he says, godliness with contentment. And so being rich, according to Paul, is not ultimately about having a full bank account, but having a full heart and a full life. And to say it another way, you are truly rich when you aren't controlled by a desire for more. Epicurus said this years ago on contentment. He said, add not to a man's possessions, but take away from his desires. It's good. That's why we need to seek balance and perspective. You see, this wasn't unique to Paul. This is actually something that God was communicating to his people for many years. Let me show you Proverbs 30, a great proverb of wisdom here. Look at what the Proverbs teach us. First, help me never to tell a lie. Help me live with integrity. All right, second, look at this. Give me, God, neither poverty or riches. Just give me enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor and I don't have what I need, that I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. What, what does the author of the proverb here say? God, just give me enough to live. I'm not asking for an abundance of more. Certainly not asking not to have enough to live. Just, just meet me in the middle so that I can have a heart that is stayed on you because no amount of money can ever make up for a shortfall of contentment. John Rockefeller once famously said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. <laughs> Without question, the wealth that many enjoy in our culture makes things easier, but it's no guarantee of making your life happier. That's why Paul says true wealth is godliness with contentment. All right, and then he says in verses seven and eight there, I love this. He says, after all, we brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. And so if we just have food and we have clothing, then with those two things, that will be enough. I mean, listen to me, that sounds great sitting in this room, but I mean, can you imagine if someone declared publicly to our society, let me tell you all you need, a little bit of food, a little bit of clothing, you're good. I mean, we would think that person is a fool. You expect me to walk? You expect me to take public transportation? I, I love talking to my kids about my childhood, back when we had to use a payphone, and um, well, and we had to use our legs. I used to walk all kinds of places. You all remember those days? My first car was a 1984 Buick Regal, baby. Mmm. <laughs> 50 Cent ain't writing those songs about my 1984 Buick Regal. I used to walk everywhere, miles. It was no big deal. But listen to what Paul is saying. What do we need, 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 need? What do we truly need? Well, we need food. We need clothing. <laughs> Shelter, right? I don't see anything else listed here, do you? But Paul, Paul is saying, you know what true wealth is? Being content with what you have. Godliness and contentment. And, and he says here, we 
we brought nothing into the world. We're not taking anything with us when we leave. I, I think that he's, he's citing Job here. Do you remember Job and his suffering? Job, when he, when, he, when, he, when he went through an incredible trial where he, he lost his family. Remember what Job said? He said famously these words, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and then he took it away. So praise the name of the Lord. You know what Job said? I had nothing when I came in this world. I'm not taking any of it when I leave. Praise the name of the Lord. What, is, what does Paul say? I, I think he's leaning into Job here. He, he says, we, we brought nothing in. We're taking nothing out. Speaking of John Rockefeller, after he passed away, someone asked one of his advisors, hey, how much did Mr. Rockefeller leave after he died? The advisor said, all of it. He left all of it. <laughs> this is why Paul emphasizes that if we have our basic needs met, food and clothing, we should be content. You know who else Paul's leaning into here? A guy named Jesus. Doesn't the food and clothing emphasis remind you of Jesus? Reminds me of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said? Let me, just show, man, let me show you this. This is so foundational. I just couldn't let it go. Look, look at this. Matthew 6. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For you will either hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus is not saying there's anything wrong with having money. So to those who suggest that, oh, if you're a Christ follower, you have to take a poverty vow, that's not the point. Jesus is saying you can't serve God and serve money. You can't align your heart and your greatest allegiance to two things. You, you, you can't on the one hand say, Jesus has saved me by his blood and, and, and he secured my eternal resurrection through his resurrection. My hope is in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. And you can't say, therefore, my, my driving motivation in life is to get rich or die trying. You can't serve Jesus and money. Okay, so this is what he said. He says, so this is why I tell you, Jesus, like, so this is why I'm telling you not to worry about everyday life. Don't worry. Whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He's saying, Those, that's what you really need. And check this out, God's gonna provide. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can you add a single moment to your life through all of your worry? You know, if, if, I were, if I were given this analogy in Florida, you know what I would say? Just look at the squirrels. <laughs> Do y'all have some suicidal squirrels in your neighborhood? I can't drive out of my neighborhood with some squirrel being in the middle of the road. <laughs> Wham! I can't hit those suckers. I can't get them. They're trying to get hit. I can't hit them, right? If I were given this teaching today, if I were Jesus, it's a good thing I'm not. I'd say, look at the squirrels in the street. You think they're worried about anything? Yet the heavenly father feeds them, right? <laughs> they're surviving. They're multiplying. We got the craziest squirrels in Florida. I'm telling you, it must be all the sun getting to their brains or something. Man, it's amazing how, how this teaching emulates Paul, right? Or Paul rather is emulating Jesus, right? Jesus. You, can't, you can't serve 
God and fill in the blank. And this can, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and get rich and die trying. You, you can't live by love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and get rich and die trying. <laughs> and so stop worrying. God knows what you need. What do you need? Well, you need food. You know who else needs food? Birds. What does God do? He feeds them. What's Jesus' point? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If God's providing for birds, is he not gonna provide for his children? And then, he, and then he says this, check this out. Jesus says, and so why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, but yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And so check this out, I love this. And so if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers who are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? Why do you worry so much? Why, maybe I could say this, why are you lacking contentment? He says, don't worry about these things saying what we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. And so Jesus says, here's what you should do. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Jesus spoke those words to a culture that wasn't nearly as affluent as ours. Because the sinful hearts of human beings have never changed. And whether you have a little or you have a lot, there is always a pool to needing more to be content. The wealthy and the poor struggle with this very principle. And so Jesus says, and Paul says, if you have food and clothing, right? You should be content. God's gonna provide for you. You're gonna be okay. And see, Paul highlights the folly of wrong desires, not the folly of having wealth. Again, I'm gonna say this one more time. The Bible does not condemn anyone for having money. The Bible does not condemn anyone for working hard. The Bible does not condemn anyone for saving and stewarding what you have. That's not the point. Let me give you just one quick example. I could give you many. Proverbs 10, four, lazy people are soon poor and hard workers get rich. The Bible's not condemning hard work and strategic management and good stewardship. That's not the point. Paul is speaking to motive, desire. He is speaking, Jesus is speaking to what we serve, what drives us, what we look to for fulfillment, what brings contentment and, and the principle here is so simple that true contentment, true wealth comes with godliness, seeking first the kingdom of God, living a life that honors God and focusing on God meeting our true needs, which he does every single day of the week. And with that, Paul is saying you can have true contentment. You see, the danger is not in having, the danger is in desiring always desiring more, always needing more. Listen, that's why Proverbs 23 says it this way. Check this out. I love this. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. I think this, I think this verse of scripture was put in the Bible for 50 cent, okay? <laughs> Stop trying to get rich or die trying. Stop making that the driving motivation of your life. Listen, those of you in, 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 in high school, college, young professor, listen to me. Listen from this old guy up here. All right? 
set the trajectory of your life on something better than material goods that you can't take with you when you die. They will never deliver what they promise. You will never have enough. You'll never have true contentment. You'll always be chasing a moving target. Set the trajectory of your life towards someone more stable and more rewarding. His name is Jesus. His kingdom, his purposes, <laughs> his plan, right? Make that your priority and you'll never be disappointed. Be content with what he provides you. Work hard, discipline yourself, manage well, steward well. God will continue to bless you and live with margin and, and, and be a generous person. And, and listen, you'll be great. Because although wealth makes life easier, it's no guarantee making it happier, which is why the scripture says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. So here, here's my last takeaway. Listen, so money can ruin you by either its presence or its absence. Either way, that's the point, doesn't matter. It can ruin you, the desire for it can ruin you by its presence or its absence. You see, its presence can lead to pride. Its absence leads to coveting. The unhealthy desire for wealth will ruin you, whether you're rich or poor. That's why someone said, wealth is the servant of a wise man, but the master of a fool. And Paul closes out his letter to Timothy with these very practical warnings and encouragement. Let me wrap up our time with these words. Check it out, beginning in verse 17. So here's how Paul summarizes this his application. He says, so teach those who are rich in this world. Bell Shoals, that's almost every single one of us. Top 5% globally. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they will experience true life. So if you're struggling today with identity and you think that your identity comes through wealth, through status, I'm just offering a better way forward. Listen, if, if you're a person that, that, that gathers your identity and your contentment and who you know and who you hang out with, Here's a little reality check. God's not impressed with you because of who you know and who you hang out with. Because you know what? God knows everybody. He's not impressed with your Rolodex. Some of you need to see me after the service. I'll explain to you what a Rolodex is, okay? <laughs> we use those when we used to walk places, all right? Who you know. If you take your identity, your fulfillment, your contentment through what you have, here's a little reality check for you. God's not impressed with what you have. He's got a lot more than you. He doesn't love you for who you know. God's never gonna call you up one day and say, hey, could you get me in touch with this person over here? I'd like to speak to him. Okay, he doesn't care. He doesn't care with what you have. He has way more than you have. Let me say it this way. He's not impressed with those who get rich or die trying because God's concerned more with who you are.
who you can be. And he's more impressed by those, not who get rich or die trying, but by those who give generously and serve others. Because this is exactly what he did for you and me. That's why Paul says, hey, tell those who are blessed, tell them. He doesn't say, just, I can't reiterate this enough. He doesn't say, tell them to sell everything they have and be poor and then God will love them more. No, he says, hey, tell, just tell them not to stake their contentment to their stuff. He says, tell them this, tell them to give generously. Tell them to help others with what they have. Tell them to leverage their relationships of who they know for the kingdom of Christ. And by doing that, they'll be investing in eternal rewards and eternal actions that will bring true contentment and fulfillment no matter what life throws their way. And one day when they die and they don't take any of that stuff with them, they will get a true reward that will last forever. And it will be all of our testimonies on that day. Yes, our generosity, our sacrifice, our loving kindness, our service was totally worth it. Totally worth it. Hey, I gotta tell you, Bill Schultz, I brag on you all the time. You don't know it, I brag on you all the time. I was with some other great ministry leaders from across the country this past week. And man, you know, a lot of us were just rejoicing in the fact that in this pandemic, the past year, the church has been a witness to the world and our dedication to the kingdom, our commitment to the gospel, and our generosity to fund the work of the kingdom, even in a crisis. In a couple of weeks, I'm gonna share with you that we're coming in at or over budget for our fiscal year this year. I'm gonna share with you that, um, hey, let me give you a little preview, okay? Yeah, we praise God for that. I'm gonna share with you that our spending been way down. We've been very, very careful and conservative, that we have surpluses, that we are investing more in, in, in ministry and in missions. I'm gonna share with you some exciting news about being out of debt. We have a little bit of debt here at this campus. And um, if the Lord continues to give us favor on the path that we're on with some things that we hope to announce here in just a few weeks, that debt will be gone in a maximum of eight years, max. I'm telling you, you, I brag on you all the time and, and, and I brag on King Jesus all the time because you know what? It, it, over the past year, the, the, the church of the Lord Jesus all around the world has been a, a beautiful picture of the generosity of God. People giving, people sacrificing, people funding the work of mission, people serving and praying. And, and when you look around the chaos of our world in the darkness of our society, you see the brightness of the gospel, the church of people giving and praying and serving. Man, what an awesome picture of what Jesus has done for us. In other words, we've been through one of the most difficult years of my life. I think many of you say of your life, certainly one of the most difficult years of our nation's history, but yet the mission of the church has not fallen back a single bit. We haven't fallen back at all. We are embodying what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than receive. Man, what a beautiful testimony to God's faithfulness to us and that there is something worth living for that far surpasses the temporal pleasures of this world. 
And you can only get to that place in your life with contentment and fulfillment and peace if you know Jesus as your savior. If heaven is your home, if heaven is your eternal destination. Listen, you can't get there on your own because there's always someone that makes more. There's always someone who has more. But you can get there today if you ask Jesus to save you, if you invite him into your heart and your life and your family. Because here's what Jesus did. Jesus left everything he had in heaven. He left all of his wealth, all of his privilege, and he came and you know what he did? He gave and he served you and me. And he took our sin, our debt, our sin debt upon himself. And he hung on a Roman cross and he absorbed for us the wrath of God for our sin and our shame and our selfishness. And then he rose from the dead and he conquered forever for all who believe the curse of sin and death. And so if you'll look to Jesus this morning and ask him to come into your life to forgive you of your sin, he will save you, he will restore you, and he'll give you a reason for living that is not circumstantial. He will give you godliness with contentment and you can walk out of here today with true wealth because true wealth is being content in every circumstance. And so if I, if I could be an encouragement to you today, here's the thing, there's two ways you can get a hold of me today, all right? First of all, just text Bell Shoals to 77411. Every single week, many people do this. It's confidential. We follow with you immediately. We, we just wanna facilitate what God's doing in your life. Hey, reach out to us today. Text Bell Shoals to 77411. You're watching us from home, somewhere across the country today, or maybe in uh, several of the countries around the world who tune in each week. Listen, text us. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you. You can also, secondly, catch me as you leave today. I'll be standing out in the welcome hall. I'd love to meet you. We'll have some team members there at round tables who would love to connect with you and encourage you, pray with you. Whatever we can do today, don't leave with your contentment, your fulfillment tied to your stuff. Hey, let's leave today with our contentment, our joy, our fulfillment, our hope tied to Jesus.